Well, let me invite you to take your Bibles this morning and join me as we read out of Colossians chapter 3 and James chapter 3. We're continuing to look at some of these biblical one another's, and this morning we're going to look at what it means to admonish and teach one another, to admonish and teach one another. Now, some of you uh, are teaching, are teachers professionally, and while some of what we'll talk about today may well apply to you as a professional teacher, I really want us to think a little bit about what it means to make a good teacher in the life of the church. Some of you teach preschoolers, elementary children, middle school, high school, college students, adults, and you do it in a variety of ways. Some of you teach uh, in our Bible study program on Sunday morning in Sunday school, one of those ages. Some of you teach on Wednesday night in a spiritual formation class, or you teach uh, children in missions or music. Some of you are involved in the youth ministry, so you're teaching Sunday morning, Wednesday night, or maybe Sunday night, or you go on a youth retreat. So in a lot of different ways in the life of our church, we teach and we admonish one another. So let's see, first of all, what Paul has to say about that in chapter 3, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful, given the hymns we just sang, that, that's a good word for us to read here, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, how do you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Well, Paul goes on to say you do it as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And then he adds, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. So another way that we admonish and we teach each, each other is through our music. A lot of our uh, theology, our understanding of God, comes from our hymns and our songs and other musics, music that we sing or we hear. And then in verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, now Paul is taking what you've been taught and what you've been admonished, and he's inviting you to apply it, to live it out in your life. And in whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Then over in James chapter 3. There is one verse out of the Bible that should be taken out immediately, and we're about to read it. We ought to rip this verse out of the Bible. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. How in the world does James think we're ever going to enlist teachers to teach if they hear this verse? That we're going to be judged more strictly. How about that? Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord, and together let us say, thanks be to God. Well, I've had a lot of teachers in my life that have been formative, but I was thinking this past week, that two of the most formative teachers in my childhood 
Christian education, both of them were named Charles. Both of them were Charles. Charles, number one, was my royal ambassador missions leader on Wednesday nights when I was in the fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. And I certainly remember learning about missionaries and their work from Charles, but I really remember who Charles was and the things that he did with us. I remember how Charles took us from our little home church in Raleigh to Winston-Salem one weekend. We went to a Weekend Royal Ambassador RA Convention. They called it an RA Congress. And I remember all the way up to Winston-Salem, all the boys were arguing and fighting to figure out which one of us got to stay in Charles's room in the hotel. Because we knew that Charles wouldn't make us go to bed early. He'd let us stay up late. So we wanted to be with Charles. And I even remember how Charles let one boy in our group order a chocolate milkshake for breakfast. And that poor fellow was sick all the way back, just as sick as a dog riding back in that car to Raleigh as he could be. Charles took us to Umstead State Park. You know, that's one of the, our state parks in Raleigh. He used to take us to Umstead State Park, and we'd canoe and hike through the woods. I remember he would tell us stories that would make us laugh, but his stories also were designed to teach us a good life lesson. Charles got along with the boys really well. In fact, I remember the parents said about Charles, Charles gets along with the boys so well because he's a child himself. I remember our parents saying that about Charles. At some point, Charles and his wife, they were unable to have children, and they adopted a child. And a couple of years later, Charles's wife left him. And Charles raised that boy all by himself for the rest of his growing up years. You know, Charles didn't give us a lot of biblical content, but I remember that Charles touched my life and a lot of boys because he invested his time in us. He loved us. He modeled what faith looked like in Jesus. That was Charles number one. Charles number two was my Sunday school teacher when I was a high school student. Charles number two was like Charles number one. Both of them were young men, but Charles number two was unlike Charles number one in a significant way. The second Charles really knew his Bible well. Charles, number two, didn't grow up in the life of the church. In fact, he lived a pretty rough and tough life in his early young adulthood, but he finally found Jesus. Maybe I should say Jesus found him, and he responded, and it just changed his life completely. And so I remember that he taught our Sunday school class with great Bible knowledge and content he challenged us to take Jesus seriously. Now, Charles number two didn't always take us to interesting places like Charles number one or tell us interesting stories, but he opened up the Bible every Sunday morning. He gave us good grounding in spiritual things, and he taught us how to live a lifestyle that evidenced that we knew the Bible. The making 
of a good teacher. Charles number one and Charles number two were good teachers. But both of them had some strengths and both of them had some weaknesses when it came to the teaching task. I, I want you to think with me this morning about the making of a good teacher being like a table or a stool that has four legs. You take away one or more of those four legs and that table is going to be unstable. That table is going to be wobbly. That stool may collapse if only one or two or three of the four legs are present. What are the four legs of teaching? Well, the first leg is the leg of content. It's the information. It's the message. It's the stories that we find in this book. The second leg is the leg of application. It's the personal stories, examples, the illustrations that we can give people that help them apply the teachings of the Bible in their life. The third leg is the leg of personal example. It's not just talking the talk, but it's walking the walk. It's matching what I say I believe as a teacher with how I live my life. And the fourth leg, well, I'll tell you about that fourth leg in just a moment. But let's focus for just a moment on the first three legs. And I want to make this observation. Both Charles number one and Charles number two in my childhood had the leg of personal example. They lived out the life of Jesus for us to see clearly. But Charles number one, my RA counselor, he was all application. He was all fun and games and stories and illustrations about how to live the life, but he had very little biblical content. While Charles number two was all content, but very little life application. And as we've already said, a one or a two or a three-legged stool or table is never balanced like it is with all four legs. So let's look at some of these legs for just a moment. James writes that those of us who are called to teach will face a stricter judgment, he says. And I think we'll handle and face a stricter judgment, first of all, for how we handle the first leg, which is the content. Now, if Jesus and God has called you to teach, there is going to be an accountability for whether or not we teach our students the content, the message, the truths of the Bible. My observation is that most of us are the greatest experts in the world on one subject, our personal opinions. But you know God has not called us to teach personal opinion. He's called us to teach the truth and the message and the stories of Scripture. So I think as a teacher, it's important for me to teach students that may be in a Bible class that I'm teaching I think it's important for us to know how many books of the Bible are there. I won't give you the quiz this morning, but how many are there? How many books are in the Old Testament? How many are in the New Testament? Who wrote some of the books of the Bible? What are some of the great themes of each of the books that we ought to be aware of? In fact, if you're interested in learning more about some of that basic content of the Bible, 
Brad Bagley and I, starting in January on Wednesday nights, are going to be co-teaching a class on understanding the New Testament. And we're going to especially focus on the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the life of Jesus. And then we're going to focus a little bit on the book of Acts, the story of the beginnings of the early church and its development. So if you don't know too much about the facts, the content, the message of the New Testament, and especially the Gospels and the book of Acts, the life of Jesus, you're invited to come on Wednesday evenings and be a part of that. I think teachers do a great injustice to their students if they do not open up the truths and the message and the stories of the Bible. And that's why if you keep reading James chapter 3, we just read the first verse, but if you keep reading James chapter 3, James writes and talks about controlling the tongue, first of all, and second of all, he writes about seeking the wisdom that comes from above and not our own selfish earthly wisdom. So part of what James's message is to teachers is teachers, make sure you control your tongue in such a way that you know what you're talking about. And number two, seek God's wisdom as you teach the content and don't share your personal opinion or your perspective. Give it the wisdom that comes from above. All right, that's the first leg, the leg of content. The second leg is the leg of application. Teachers will be judged more strictly for how they handle application, helping students apply what they're learning in their personal life. Maybe you've heard the old saying that all work and no play makes Johnny a dull boy. Well, could we also say that all content and no application, not showing Johnny how to live the Christian life, may make Johnny a spiritual failure. Because James writes in this book here that faith without works is dead. So the brilliant Bible scholar who, has been, who hasn't been taught how to apply that teaching in somebody's life is creating someone, I think, who has a less than adequate faith. So teachers, I want to challenge you this morning don't stop teaching the content, the great message of Scripture, but give your students some handles on how to apply that content, the message of Jesus, into their life. All right, so we got the leg of content. We've got the leg of application. But the third leg is the leg of your and my personal example. Teachers, we're going to be held with a stricter judgment for how we live our life and whether it matches up with what we say we teach. Have you also heard the saying, what you are doing speaks so loudly that I can't hear what you're saying? You know, the fact is that the worst thing that a teacher can do is to teach one thing on Sunday and do the exact opposite on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. In James chapter 3, verse 13, James asked the question, Who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. And then in Jesus, 
Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He puts a high premium on teaching and practicing what we've been taught. Jesus says in verse 19 of chapter 5 of Matthew, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of the heavens. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of the heavens. So it's just not teaching the content and showing students how to apply it in their life, but that third leg of personal example, how you live your life, speaks powerfully to another person. Well, we come to the fourth leg of what it takes to make a good teacher. And I've saved this for last because I think the fourth leg of the teaching learning process really doesn't have anything to do with the teacher. It's all about the students. It's about you and me if we're sitting in that class and we're learning because the fact is we can't have teachers unless we have students. By definition, a teacher is someone who teaches another person and that's always a student. So you see, there's a lesson here this morning for those of us who call ourselves students of Jesus. There are a lot of things that teachers can do in our life, but there are some things that they can't do. A teacher cannot make a student attend a Bible study in the first place. A teacher cannot make someone bring their Bible and open it up in a class or in a worship setting. A teacher cannot make that student study the lesson in advance or learn to read the Bible devotionally. A teacher cannot make a student learn the content, apply it to their life, or even live a lifestyle that evidence that they know something about the content. A teacher cannot make a student love and serve Jesus. That's something that a student has to do. I like the story of the college professor who was in a colleague's office one day. He was talking about a student he had in his class that was having all sorts of difficulties. And the professor said to this other colleague, you had that student in your class. Tell me, how did you handle him? And the colleague replied, he wasn't one of my students. He may have sat in my class, but he was never a student of mine. You see, we may plop down in a teacher's class. We may sit in a Bible study class, but that doesn't necessarily make us a student of Jesus. We can have the greatest teacher in the world feeding us all of the content, all of the application, all of the personal examples that we want, but it just won't mean much until you and I decide that we're going to become a student of Jesus. So that's what I think it takes to make for a great teacher. It takes a teacher who knows the message, the content. It takes a teacher who can give you those stories and illustrations that show you how to apply it in your life. It takes a teacher who lives the life and walks the walk by personal example. But it also takes a student 
who's willing to learn and willing to roll up his or her sleeves and really become a student of Jesus. So that's why I think we who teach, and I think we could also add in there, we who learn will be judged with a greater strictness. Join me and let's pray together. God, this morning, we want to celebrate and thank you for all who teach in all different ways in our world. We thank you for the teachers that we have had in the educational journey in the school system. We're grateful, God, for those who have taught and shown us the way of Jesus in the life of the church. So we pray, God, that you would bless each and every person who gives of their time and energy to be teachers, who show us something about what it means to follow Jesus. And God, help those of us who are students to take the teaching and learning process seriously. And bless all of us, God, in this effort to be more like your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, this morning we're going to sing the hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated. It's number 597 in your hymnal. And as we sing together this morning, what are some of the ways that maybe you need to respond? Maybe you've been sitting in that Bible study class and you've been letting the teacher do all the work. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning, I need to roll up my sleeves. I need to pay more attention to the work of what it means to learn and to follow after Jesus. Could be that there's some of you today who've never made that first time decision to follow Christ. And so as we sing the hymn, I'll be standing at the front and would welcome hearing a decision that you've become a new Christian. Maybe you've been through one of our connecting conversation classes and you're ready to officially become a part of the Oakmont Church family. We have our prayer stations that are available for you to go and leave a prayer request or to pray with one of our ministers. Our offering baskets for the North Carolina Baptist Children's Homes are at the front. And if you'd like to participate in that offering this morning, or if you didn't come prepared to do so, but want to do so later in the week, that's certainly acceptable. And we would gladly and gratefully receive your gift that will go for that good work in ministry. So let's stand together and let's sing, and you respond as God leads you. Thank you. 